I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. We've all faced the challenges of an ever-growing population. And with that comes the ever-growing popularity of uh, urban deer hunting in the small parcels of land. So today we're joined by Hunter Rotarius of Florida Boy Outfitters, and we're going to talk about how he's how you get permission, how you go about hunting small parcels, just everything we can we can think to talk about on that one. So, and and Hunter is joining us from the road today on the way to get some scallops. So. Hunter, where are you headed to get scallops at? We're headed to Steenhackie, Florida. God's country. Yeah, there's no ducks there either, so don't bother going there during duck season. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been there. Well, it's a neat area. We've always gone to home Assassa. Yeah. But I'm going to lead out this podcast right now with telling you that the tickets are on sale for the pig roast. And we're giving away... Uh, an obsession, fully rigged obsession bow, a cooler full of all kinds of hunting goodies, some great food, good time. Come out, eat some, eat some slow cooked pig, try and win a bow, and uh, have some libations, and just enjoy the day with us. And uh, the money from the the raffle goes to benefit Operation Outdoors Freedom, which is a nonprofit organization in Florida that takes wounded vets out on special opportunity hunts across the state. And that's on September 11th at Lake Monroe Park in Volusia County, Florida. That's it. If you made the crawfish boil, this one's going to be just as good. It's literally the same spot, same pavilion, same everything as the crawfish boil. Except now I made it where you can buy your tickets online. <laughs> Bada bang. And we got more loot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Off. Sweepstakes off. Yeah. Be a lot of good stuff there. So if you guys don't show up and buy tickets, I'm gonna buy tickets for that dang bow, and I'm gonna win it. I'm gonna take it home, and shoot it myself. So you better show up and buy all the tickets before I get a chance to. Yeah, let's also. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on you there, Hunter. Um, I was gonna say that we're not just taking some pig and chucking it on a spit. We're bringing out the the box, the Cuban microwave. Uh, and it looks like we're going to have Jason Gonder, who's cooked dozens of these things. A man who obsesses about fire and food. The pit master, per the se. The pit master, exactly. Seeing all these people from South Florida posting all these, like, sweet bow kills already, I'm like, gosh, why, why, why do they get hunting season already and we don't? Like, this just isn't fair. Bro, they get a rut in July. I know. Like, what? That's insane. And you still got bucks in velvet, right? Oh, yeah. All, all my bucks are still in velvet. They will be for the next probably two weeks. It's yeah. usually about the 25th of August is usually when they shut out. But I had I had one last year that made it until the uh, first week of September. Really? Yeah. yeah. He Man. was, I want to say it was like third or Third or fourth of September, you said? Yep, first week of September. Yeah, jeez, yeah. that's crazy. Yep, 
And then they come in, they're come. they coming into rut right around the opening archery season here, correct? In Central um, Florida yeah, area? That, yeah, that buck I shot last year was, uh, there was four does that Peter, he came in bumping, looking for does. He, he never even, never even looked at the corner, or the soybeans or nothing. He went straight to those does, bumped them off the, bumped them off from around the feeder, and that's not shot him right there. So let's get down to the brass tacks on this. I mean, you're hunting. How big is the piece of property we're we're talking about right now? Thirty acres. Thirty acres. Yes. So not very big at all. No. I mean, it's 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 bigger than say your five acre backyard or you know quarter acre piece you might have that's mostly wooded. Um, but in the in the terms of the size of a public land wildlife management area or something of that nature, it's it's fairly small. So, how do you how how do you manage a property that small? What what's your main focus when it comes to having deer on that property? So for me, um, what I've really focused on the last couple of years, I've had this place now going on this will be the fourth season. Um, first year, I obviously put a feeder on it just to see what was there. And a couple little bucks. Everything that it had showed up was young deer. Um, but I try to just, especially the small places like that, you gotta move because, especially just the natural browsing Florida, like the deer are gonna eat everything that's natural, but eventually they're gonna run out of food. So if you got food on your property, it's enticing for them deer to want to be close to your property. So I, I try to run protein during the summer, whether it be soybeans or uh, like an antler max kind of thing. And we also, the last couple of years, we've been, we've been planting food plots in there too, soybeans and like a, uh, just like a mix, like a winter wheat mix. We throw on there for late season and then we plant soybeans right before those season. Nice. You ever tried planting iron clay peas? Uh, we plant them in Georgia. Uh, honestly, I need to do a soil sample. That's, I mean, it's extremely important down here to do a soil sample, and I've been kind of lazy when it comes to that last couple of years. Sand is a tough thing to grow in, which is what we have quite a bit of down here in Florida. And then on top of that, when you combine sand with lots of pine trees, it makes it even tougher. But that's one thing I have found that no matter where I threw them, in whatever conditions they were in, they always came up with iron clay peas. And they oh. last about 15 minutes before the deer destroy them. Bow them down. Yeah. Pow! They, yeah, you, that's call another... Go ahead, Hunter. Another issue. So that's another issue with a small place like that. You can't, you can't really plan a, you know, 15-acre food plot. Then you don't have to worry about browse. Because in reality, you plant a two-acre food plot, and you got to worry about browse. And those deer are going to knock that down before you starts to really grow you know they're eating all the tops off it like last year for example i had like two groups of does like four to five in each group when i tell you they smashed the two acre food plot in a week and a half two weeks i'm not exaggerating i mean they just waxed it to the dirt so me and my dad had to take the tractor back in there and we just dissed it all back up again planted it again right before hunting season obviously they just did the same thing over again but we're like i think we're gonna wait to get a little closer to season to do this again (laughs) so 
So do you guys not fence off any food plots or anything like that with a hot fence? So, so the first year we did it, um, and it was successful. I mean, it worked. It worked to an extent. Um, in reality, you got to do it you know, just seven, eight feet because it, I mean, deer jump over a fence like it's not even there. But uh, I've had a couple. A couple successful seasons of doing it, and honestly, man, it just takes so much time. Like to run out there and run the run that fence around it and everything. And we got bears real bad too. Bears just run through it. So I'll tell you what what we've done in the past. Uh, what I've done on small parcels like that where we couldn't plant large food plots, we planted soybeans, and we used um, electric fence, but it's like a a white tape version of electric fence and okay. then you string it up around your soybean food plot normal fence height usually you're running two strands on each on on your uh, electric fence just two strands of fence but you run it in in uh you run two sections of fence they're spaced about three feet apart and what happens is because the deer because deer don't have very good depth perception they come up and they they want to they can tell that there's two fences there. The, I mean, that's when you see a deer move its head up and down, up and down. They're trying to get better depth reception when you're looking at you in the tree. So they'll do the same thing, and in order to try and figure out how far the fences are apart, they'll walk up to the first fence and stretch their neck out across it, and that's when they get lit up, and they leave your they leave your soybeans alone until you pull the fence down. Huh. Genius. That is a, yeah, that's a dang neat idea. I've never really thought of that. I, I, honestly, I obviously, when a, when a deer is looking at you and you're in the stand and she starts bobbing her head up and down, usually you're pretty much busted at that point. I honestly never knew that. I didn't know that they didn't have very good depth perception. So deer see, and uh, their, their, their world is 2D. Everything is flat. So, um, which helps them see movement very, very, very well. That's why they'll pick up on the slightest amount of movement. Uh, but that's what also makes literally sitting still and being quiet very effective camouflage. Because as long as you have decent, at least back cover behind you, then you'll kind of, it'll break up your outline. You don't necessarily always have to have a bunch of stuff in front of you as long as you've got a good bit behind you and you break up your silhouette that way and don't skylight yourself. But deer see in a in a two D like a two D world everything's flat. Yeah, it's crazy. Very interesting. If you ever get in, get the time to read up an article on on how deer see, and how they see in the ultraviolet spectrum of color. Yeah, they see a version of color, not necessarily not the same way we see color, but they see ultraviolet stuff. So if you're washing your hunting clothes and the the uh, color brightening detergent and stuff like that, kind of it makes you kind of shimmer and glow because yeah, of the I, ultraviolet. I have, I have heard about that before. Yeah. I heard, um, I used to wear this camouflage company a couple of years ago and they ended up going bankrupt or whatever. But after the fact, um, we were in the woods one day and my buddy had taken a picture of me or like a video of me walking into the woods. And it was almost like I was wearing a like certain pieces of the camouflage was really bright when the flash hit it. So I was like, that's really weird. So I looked it up 
on like you know if that perfect would be there based on you know, the brightness or whatever it would be and that's why i read up on that article about that that's crazy yeah so in other words i didn't wear that anymore yeah <laughs> <laughs> A lot of times, if if that if you see a uh, usually that big doe sitting there moving her head up and down like that, looking to see you, she's trying to validate what one of her other senses his senses have already picked up. Yeah. So she's either smelled you or heard you. Now she's trying to to see you. When she gets two two of the three, she gone. Hunting's easy though, right? Oh yeah, super easy. <laughs> super easy. I mean, if it was easy, we'd call it fishing. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that. Probably, probably fish me under the water, under the boat. But, but uh, so, how do you go about in the, in the event that? Well, let's start off. Let's start off with the basics. All right, you find a piece of property. What are you using to look up property? Okay, um, in the past, I've had an Onyx whatever it's called, like the year subscription to multiple states because I hunt a lot in Georgia. Um, up until two years ago, I hunted a lot of public land or privately owned um, public land in West Virginia and obviously down here in Florida as well. And uh, my dad uses, I think it's called Hunt Stand. Um, yep. Yeah, my dad uses you can that actually, too. You can actually look up people's address, their to the extreme. You can even get their um, email address, things like that. Some people put their phone numbers. Anything that's public information. So, like if if they provide their phone number you know, somewhere, you know, just the public information where you can find it online or anything like that. That HuntStand app is really, really good about you know, continually downloading things like that. Uh, in West Virginia, I use Onyx a lot because of that reason as well. You can find, you know, who owns that property based on, you know, clicking on it. And that's how I would get phone numbers or I could find out where the landowner lives in that area. You know, so I can go knock on a door or, you know, make a phone call. So, I just down well. I a few days ago I downloaded Huntwise, and Huntwise okay. Huntwise does the same thing. It was like fifty bucks for a year, and I yeah, can. I've used honestly. I can, I've huh? used almost all. That's yeah. all fifty states all. too, right? Yeah, it's all fifty. I just I actually when he was talking about other states, I just pulled up Huntwise. I was like, ooh, I need to see if I can use this. And but yeah, it's work. I'm I'm looking through Georgia right now, and it's. Up. But like I could, I used it to find some phone numbers. Like I zoomed in and then clicked on the property and it told me their address and everything. And then it said like look up phone number. I just clicked that and it. Yeah. So I'll tell you some things I've noticed about Onyx. Um, not that it's bad, but I it's something to think about verifying before if you're gonna, especially if you're gonna write a letter because a lot of times Onyx offers you a. Uh, what do you call it? Like a tax address? Yeah. Right? So what I've done when it gives me a physical address is put it into the old Google Maps machine and go to Street View at that address. And I've had several times where that address does not exist. 
it'll take you to, well, the address exists, but there's no physical residence there in which they would receive mail. So then you find out when you get to that address, you look at that piece of property. They also own it under a different address. You go to that address and you eventually bounce from address to address to address until you get a piece of property that has a, a house on it. Yeah, I ran into that uh, issue one time hunting like a more urban urban kind of West Virginia, um, if that's a thing. But um, it was like back in the neighborhood when we were in college trying to find places, little, you know, two, three acre spots to hunt. And I found an address and then I sent it and the, the, um, the letter got sent back to me at my college and it said like undeliverable. Wasn't right. a valid address or whatever, and then I ended up finding out that it was, it was one of those kind of like PO box kind of things, right. where you know like the PO box was for you know twelve houses and it was one location, and they each had a PO box for each house. So I ended up uh, just going no, no, no. So when it comes down to knocking on doors, I have in the past always done my best to dress as least like I'm trying to ask for permission to hunt your property as possible. Have you done the same thing in that instance? I, I would agree with you. I, I try to look as presentable as possible. Right. I mean, I'm I mean, not if, showing up in a suit and tie by any means. Yeah, I mean, I'm not showing up to, you know, I'm not a lawyer. You know what I mean? I don't want to think that <laughs> either, but I might throw on, you know, polo and pair of jeans and a pair of boots and kind of look presentable. Right. I, but, uh, that's kind of like when uh, I, I got that one guy's yeah. phone number trying to get a hold of that piece of property. I never saw him in person and I called him, but he didn't answer. Right? When I sent him a text, I was like complete, proper, professional. Sent him a text and then he evidently knows the golf course owner. So, the golf course <laughs> owner doesn't like, yeah, golf course owner doesn't like hunting. So, I hey, cannot. it happens, man. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you, you know, you got to keep friendly with the neighbors. Yeah. Too. And I've hunted pieces where we were literally, my buddy owned three quarters of an, an acre and the house was on a tenth of it and the rest of it was wooded. And he had permission from like five of his next door neighbors in either direction to hunt on the woods behind their house. And I smoked a doe back there with my rifle. It was, uh, the, the property we were hunting, it wasn't like behind him was more houses. It was all beyond that was, what do they call it? Wetland restoration area. So it was non-huntable, another like 400 acres of non-huntable land back there that the developer had to buy. Or in the state of Georgia, they make them buy wetland if they destroy wetland or create wetland if they destroy wetland. So that's what was back behind the house. And believe you me, when I say wetland, it was wet. A little swampy. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, uh, by the time I, it was uh, 35 degrees that morning. And by the time I got the doe that I shot back to the truck, I needed a new pair of pants because I was, had been in water up over my waist. Um, I didn't drag her out of there. I floated her. She was standing in about shin deep water when I shot her. And thankfully, uh, she ran and I was like, oh crap, I'm never going to find blood in the water. 
So I called my buddy. I was like, hey, man, did you see where that doe went? Because he was about, might have been 200 yards from me. He's like, yeah, I saw where she went. She's dead right here in front of me at 30 yards, laying on a little island. I was like, perfect. <laughs> so she Love ran yes. right over to him. When yeah. you come out, bring her with you. Yeah. Yeah. She, <laughs> she ran right over to him and just laid down right down on an island. That was it. She was done. He's like, I almost shot her. I was, and, then I, he, and then she just laid there and fell over. I was like, sweet. So the funny thing is, is he actually saw her before I did. Uh, because the way he was, where he was sitting, he could see back in my direction. He just couldn't see me. And she was probably about 60 yards away when I shot her. He had a clear line of sight to see her and the other two does coming towards me. And he texted me, there's a doe coming up on your right. Sure enough, so I read the text message, and I looked to my right, and she was standing there. I was like, oh, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's those little pieces like that, man. I mean, I've hunted uh, I've hunted some five-acre pieces out here in, in Florida and seen some big bucks never during season. The whole reason we hunted where we hunted was because we saw that, that a nice big eight-point prior to season opened up, and then season opened up, and Lord knows where he went. But you get on those little tiny pieces, and uh, they hold deer. Yeah. They don't need much. Especially if you're feeding them. They, they don't need much. I mean, they, they'll run yeah. to feed, but to bed down and stay hidden... No, I've hunted yeah. a bunch of small places. I mean, before I got that 30-acre place, I, I was hunting acres, two acres, um, just little places. I mean, nothing, nothing special. But another thing that I ran into is there's not, I guess from where I'm, you know, right there in Central Florida, there ain't a whole lot of private places to hunt. Um, and gotta almost be you know somewhat secretive because your buddies will be trying to come out from under you you know offer them i say my buddies or your buddies you know what i mean but obviously they're doing that they're not much of your friend anyways right people that um, yeah people would otherwise jealous. find out get and then jealous. try and get in underneath you yeah or they try to oh well, i'll pay you this i'll pay you that you know that that's where the permission thing kind of I feel like that's the old school way of doing it. You know, you, you go in there and you talk to the man, hey, you know, whether it be a business or, or anything, say they got three acres of wooded property, you know, you go in there and tell him, he's like, well, I don't really let people hunt back there. And you offer, hey, man, well, I'll bush all of your, your property and keep it you know, all the front part of your business. I'll keep it upkeep. I'll bush all get once a year, twice a year, however often you need it. You'd be surprised how many guys are like, man, they, they ain't hurting me none to let him come mow my grass. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, that's that's one thing that coming back to you know, the asking permission thing. I think a lot of people just, at the end of the day, they're lazy. They don't want to offer, you know, a little bit of sweat equity in order to to secure that piece of property or, you know, create a relationship with the landowner. I think that's the thing in Florida, too, is everybody's worried that, you know, it's going to end up being a liability. So that's another thing with me. If I'm ever going to ask anyone if I can hunt their property, I already have it in writing 
with me usually or in my truck or whatever. I don't want to walk up someone with a stack of papers, you know what I mean? But I already had it written up that I will have my own insurance. I will no way, shape, or form will they be liable for me while I'm on their property. You know, things like that. It's just the peace of mind that you can give that person. Because at the end of the day, the world we live in, it's it's real easy for someone you know, take advantage of an opportunity like that. You know, they break their leg, get out of the stand, or God forbid they fall out of the stand. And there's a lot of things that can happen while you're hunting if you're not doing it correctly. Yeah, I mean, um, by all means. scared of being liable. By all means, you listen to the, like, regular radio for an hour, and you'll hear an ad for an attorney yeah. to oh, sue yeah, somebody. <laughs> He's going to yeah. call Morgan and Morgan. They're like, <laughs> man, I can quit my job yeah. if they have one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I can tell I, you. I was say I can guarantee if they don't have a job, they're not hunting because it ain't cheap. Uh, oh. <laughs> That's like, uh, what's that? It's for every uh, outdoor activity you can think of, but they're like, you know, if you teach your kids how to hunt, they'll never have to worry about them being on drugs because it won't be it for them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Next round of business cards, instead of host and co-host, you should just get the title Deficit Spender. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> We, uh, so I'll tell you that we had a piece, a little slice of heaven that we got permission to hunt on in, uh, in Tennessee when I, when I lived up there and that was, uh, about 84 acres and it butted up to 14,000 acres of public land. So we could walk right off the back of the old man's property and go hunt, continue on hunting out into the public property, which was nice. Um, but. All we ever did for him in order to hunt there was whatever work he needed done. And believe you me, he had no problem putting us to work. I <laughs> wish, I wish he would have let us just bush hog, bush hog property. Because that was the job he reserved for himself because he'd just ride the tractor around all day. Yeah. <laughs> but it was wow. everything from throwing square bells, putting up square bells in a barn. The majority of the work was hauling. He, he heated his house uh, with a wood-burning stove. So he would have a pile of cut wood in his backyard that would sit out there in season all summer. And then come deer season, he wanted to start moving it into the garage, his basement down there where the, where the stove was. And we would literally fill up the bed of a short bed pickup from cab to tailgate as high as the cab all about the end of the tailgate and it would take probably 10 to 15 trips to, to get rid of that entire pile. Now we would only do one load every time we went out to hunt because good Lord, it'd take us two and a half, three hours to get that whole load loaded, stacked in the back of the truck, like stacked neatly in the back of the truck. So it doesn't fall apart when you drive it over there. Yeah. Drive up to the house with it. <laughs> And then take it all out, put it in a wheelbarrow, and stack it neatly in his garage. But he, those those people were so good to us, man. I, I I couldn't have asked for a better group of people to, to hunt on their property because we always called ahead because they lived there. Uh, it wasn't like we were just hunting on some piece of property that didn't have a house on it. They did live at the front of the property where we parked. So I would call on Friday evening and... Uh, Usually, Miss Loretta would answer the phone, his wife, and I'd tell her, I'd say, Miss Loretta, we're, we're coming out in the morning. We're going to go 
go hunting. She's like, all right, well, I'll tell y'all what. When you get down in the morning, I'll have breakfast ready. And boy, if you weren't out of the deer stand by 9, 30, 10 o'clock, Junior was calling you. If you didn't answer, he the old man would call you on your cell phone. If you didn't answer, he'd come find you in your pickup truck because his wife wouldn't let him eat until we got back. And you go in there, and she had a daggum Thanksgiving spread laid out for breakfast. Eggs, biscuits and gravy, sausage, bacon, I mean, ham, you name it. It was all over the table. And that sounds like some grandma's cooking right there. Oh, it yeah. was wonderful. It was wonderful. <laughs> you, well, I tell you what, one thing you never left that property was, was hungry. Yeah, you didn't even need to shoot a deer at that point. No, yeah. sir. No, sir. <laughs> she she would load you down with all the fried food you could eat, son. And she made some dang good food, too. She'd make white beans and send you home with more white beans on top of the white beans you just ate. And uh, when I, I told him, I said, you I said you like when we come out here, don't you, Mr. Junior? He said, yeah. I said, he says, she don't cook like that for me no more. <laughs> <laughs> No wonder he kept all working. He needs all to be around. Yeah, yeah. so he could get the good food. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "We're gonna come hunting." He's like, "Yes, it's cool." <laughs> but uh, he was—he was always a character, and he was great. I mean, we had that property. He would let us use his dang giant Kubota and disc to plant food plots. You know, whatever. We just kept him, kept him in diesel fuel, and kept him all the work he needed done. Done. He never complained. He, he all the time. Yeah, he was in his uh, late seventies when we hunted out there. So he's probably he's got to be in his eighties now. If he's still kicking. I'm sure he is. I haven't heard anything, so I'm, I, somebody would call me and tell me. I know enough people that still live up there that know him. So, but uh, he uh, he just always out there working. He wanted to. He was the one that was dang sure gonna bush hog everything. We used his tractor to plant food plots. He's always, hey, I, I was riding around out there the other day and I seen a big old, big old buck over there in the edge of the, the hay field. He's always <laughs> keeping us up to date where the deer are at. Every time we check cameras, he wanted to know if we had a, a, a panther on there. <laughs> oh boy! Because at that time when we were hunting up there, that's when the when their people were starting to see panthers in, in Tennessee. He's like, y'all got any of them big old cats on there? I said, no, no, we don't. <laughs> But uh, and then once a year he would go over to to East Tennessee and bear hunt. That was his thing. He loved bear hunt. He would bear hunt. And he would run traps. I'd love to get into running traps, dude. Uh, I he never ran traps. Sweet. He ran traps the first year we hunted there, and then he quit running traps after that. He just he didn't run them as often. He'd run. He might run a line every now and then on the public land behind us, but he didn't run traps on his property. But man, that old man had some stories. He he'd take us out in his uh his little single cab Ford, um, and ride us around over there, and that's what we filled up full of lumber. But he'd sit there. He said, "Well, he said I used to have a still over there in that holler, and I had a trap line ran up here, and then I had a still over there in that holler." He said, "I had I had me about <laughs> three or four stills until I got caught by the feds." He said, "Then I had to quit. Yes. Run, had to quit making moonshine." <laughs> He yeah, was a trip, like a man. I like to hang out with. Oh man, he was he was something else. He is something else. But yeah, I, that, I'm, I'm I'm like visioning him in my mind right now. He's got those blue those blue uh, 
coveralls on. Yep. Or overalls. He's on. blue overalls. Yep. <laughs> white shirt. A white t-shirt. <laughs> and he had a he had an old horse, an old blind horse in the barn that he used to race. He used to barrel race, and he had a daggum room full of trophies. That old horse knew when the deer were out, didn't it? Yes, it did. In fact, he, he had been telling us for the longest time, he's like, you sit right there behind the barn. The deer walk back and forth behind the barn every morning. And I kept telling him, Mr. Junior, I, I don't want to hunt that close to your house because, you know, from the from his kitchen window to the back of the barn was only about 50 yards. <laughs> and uh, he's like, ah, it don't matter. So finally one morning I gave up and I hadn't seen, I'd missed a buck uh, three times in the same hunt during uh, archery season and I didn't see anything during muzzleloader. So I told my buddy, I said, yeah, I'm going I'm to hunt out of my pickup truck right here behind the barn this morning. Sure enough, I'm over there playing on my phone and the horse <laughs> shaking its head and growling all that. I look up at the horse and I look out to my left and there's a doe standing about 30 yards. And I shot her and then 20 minutes later he did it again and I shot another one. And then about, probably about seven more deer, seven more does crossed back and forth behind that barn. And then I got out, I got out of my truck about seven o'clock and went inside to have a cup of coffee with Mr. Junior. And uh, he says, where were you hunting at? I said, right behind the barn. He said, you damn near scared me to death when you shot. <laughs> I said, I told you I didn't want to hunt that close to the house. <laughs> oh. But it was it was definitely an experience hunting out there, and and we didn't like I said we didn't pay anything, we we did whatever work he needed done, and we're always there when he asked. He he never never thought twice to give us a phone call. I mean we were out there one day and helped him run a whole new dang water line from his pump to his house because it busted. Jeez. So I said, what's cool about that? It started off as oh man, we need somewhere to hunt. You know what I mean, yeah, you, you did it, and you end up making a relationship like that. That's cool, making yeah. all those memories. Yeah, we made family out there. That's awesome. It, it, it was a lot of fun. I feel like a lot of like most places you're gonna find in Florida, and I could be wrong. At least in our area, that you're gonna find private wise that you can hunt. You're almost strictly gonna have to archery hunt it. Every um, every spot I've ever got permission to hunt in the state of florida the person has told me yes you can but no rifles yeah so, so basically just just bow only so what have you had have you had the unfortunate experience of having a deer cross a property line on you yet yep um i had one it was just a doe but um, I was hunting in the back of a little spot I had that I still have. Um, and I hit her good. Saw the shot. I was like, all right, we're good. And I actually shot her with my grandpa's crossbow. I was like, oh, she didn't go far, you know. But like you said, when you're hunting those two, three acres, if you're on one side or the other, they only got to run 100 yards or 50 yards, right. depending on where you're at. And um, she jumped. I did hear her hit the fence. Or she, I don't know whether she jumped over it or, you know, her back legs caught on her or what. But, and I was like, man, she made it over the fence. That's the first thing I was thinking. I'm like, I don't know the neighbors. 
you know, it's dark now. That's about 15, 20 minutes after I shot her, I'm like, it's dark. And I'm going to have to go knock on their door before I, you know, I mean, before I go stomping through somebody's backyard with a flashlight, end up getting shot. So, um, we walked around, and was, I called my dad. He's like, just walk over to the neighbors, explain to them what happened. And, you know, that's thinking that that person is going to be a decent human being. Right. But in reality, in Florida, you could walk over there and they could be anti-hunting or, you know, a vegetarian. There's a lot of things you can run into in this state, for sure. But I walked over there and knocked on the door. Dog started raising hell. So at that, I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to get dog fed and probably even get my deer. <laughs> but guy walked to the door and I said, how you doing? I'm doing good. Can I help you? you know, the whole spiel. And uh, that's one of my And I shot a deer over here um, on this piece of property that borders yours. And she made it over the fence. I said, do you mind if I, uh, you know, go back there and get her? Oh, no, no problem. He said, no, let me put my boots on. I hope you drag her out of there. I said, okay. So he, you know, went back there with me and he even helped me bunch over the deer and everything. And, uh, Help drag her back over to my truck and load her up and everything. So, well, you it can't. Was a good experience of any. So, yeah. I've heard. Wait, hold on. I've heard of people having bad experiences with it too, like having shot deer on one of those private land places, yeah. and then the next door neighbor is like, "Nope, can't come get it." Man, he's like, "Dude, that's that, that's trash." Like, what? You're you're literally wasting an animal at that point. Not necessarily. <laughs> Yeah, unless they're gonna get it. Yep. Yeah, that that's I was about to say that that would be one reason why you might see that kind of thing. Um, and I just watched a video, a hunt video on YouTube, and this guy shot like he was hunting. I want to say it's Kentucky, but I can't I can't really remember. But he shot a buck with his bow in his property. Well, the property information on he was hunting a small place i think it's 25 acres and it butted up to state land yeah um he shot the deer on the private land property on video and everything he said he had two buddies that um were you know dnr officers for the state or whatever and he had tried to get a hold of them they didn't answer and then um he was up by the fence, whatever, the park ranger was, I guess, like, making rounds or whatever. Um, and he said that the park ranger told him it is, it is, he is not allowed to retrieve that deer off of state land at all, period. Really? And, like I said, I can't remember what state it was, but it was supposedly a state law that since the deer was shot on private land, and the public land was not open that weekend or whatever, that the deer was not allowed to be retrieved by the hunter from the private land. So the guy called his buddies that were the DNR officers and was like, hey, what do I do? Finally got a hold of them. They were like, let me make a couple phone calls and see if I can you know, get it sorted out. It was a huge buck. I mean, it was like 160 class. Jeez. Huge buck. And the guy's like, biggest buck of my life, like, it was almost like gut wrenching to watch the video too, because after he shot the deer, he was like 
I mean, like all of us do, knees hitting together, freaking out, you know, all excited. And then the next clip of the video is after he had talked to the park ranger. He was just like, like they pulled his heart out of his chest, you know what I mean? But he ended up getting a hold of his DNR buddies, and they called him back. and was like, man, I hate that kid. There's nothing we can do about it. And he had to sit there literally like, he's like the deer couldn't have made it 100 yards. But, um, like I said, that could be the park ranger rolling in there and grabbing him and loading him up. But there ain't no telling. That's tough. You know, Jim, you and I talked about this earlier today, and I think you were right. I think the last thing I would tell somebody when I want to retrieve a deer off their land, especially if I have any inkling that they may hunt, is that, hey, man, I shot a monster buck, and it ran onto your property. That calls for a unique situation. Yeah. yeah I like to start off with, hey, man, I done shot a monster spike. <laughs> 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 I, I, get that, I, don't, I can carry it out by myself. It was probably weighed about 60 pounds. <laughs> I just just go with hey listen dude I, I shot a coyote and I just don't want it to start stinking high heaven back there you mind if I go in there yeah. and get it <laughs> yeah. it's in your yard oh oh I actually have another uh, I can't believe I didn't think of this story earlier so I was talking about me knocking on doors in West Virginia so when I first started hunting West Virginia I was when I was in college I had zero places like, no, I mean, I didn't have, I didn't know anybody. So I was you know, 900 miles from home. So I started talking to some people that knew some people or whatever. And I got to start hunting this guy's backyard, literally like one acre piece. His house was down in the front and he was just a steep hill. And I could hunt the back of it. Well, I ended up finding out that a kid that I played baseball with, um, his grandfather owned some property that would, he would l- allow me to hunt on. Well, I shot a buck. First buck I ever killed with my bow um, was in West Virginia. I shot him quarter two just a little bit. Um, I'll never take that shot again, ever in my life. But I took quarter two shot um, with a big old expandable broadhead. Got a complete pass through just behind the shoulder, and he caught liver and exit out of the guts. But the angle that I shot the deer out of, it came out of basically the bottom. You know, like this white hair on his belly. Yep. Did you sing so along the gut, So the guts caught it up. Yeah, it just all it caught, it caught like the very, very back of um, one lung, the liver, and the guts. And the arrow was soaked in guts when I grabbed it. So obviously I knew, you know, I don't want to go in there stomping around and bump the deer. So that night, but looking at the video that I had, so it goes back to another thing of video in your hunt, you know, be very, very careful with those luminops and lighted knocks and things like that. Because it can make the shot look better than it is. But I thought the shot was perfect. Looking at the video on my little handy cam and I blood trailed deer for 150 yards so I was blood trailing the deer down to this creek and as soon as the deer dumped the creek the blood trail just completely stopped which obviously knowing what I know now you know the guts probably shifted over and plugged up the hole so I'm looking at this, this mountainous hill in West Virginia and I'm like man there's no way that deer went up that hill had to have turned and gone down the creek. Well, 
you know, we didn't find no blood or whatever. And like I said, it was my first act. It would have been my first buff of my bow ever. So we looked and looked and looked the next day. I skipped class the whole next day, looked all day long, never found any more blood, never found, you know, any sign. So I went and hunted the following day. So now this is, I shot on November 1st, but now November 3rd, I went and hunted the morning and then went and looked for him again the 3rd. Did not find anything. So I went back to school. Obviously, I was not in a very good mood. But uh, my buddy calls me when I'm in the cafeteria and he's like, hey, there's some buzzers flying up here somewhat close to where you shot that deer a couple days ago. You might want to go up there and look. So, okay. Well, I had already gone to the property the night before, the day before, whatever. So I had already known that I was going to have to get a hold of that person in order to go into their backyard. So I went back around uh, on the highway, pulled up in the driveway. I walked up to the door, you know, knocked on the door, and this, this old man answered the door. And he's like, I don't want what you're selling. I was like, I was like, no, sir. I didn't even get the word out. I was like, no, sir. I, uh, I just need, you know, I want to talk to you. I, I hunt back there behind your house on that, uh, on that piece of property. And he's like, oh, you're going to speak up. I'm hard of hearing. You know, he's, I mean, he can barely hear me. I was yelling at him. And, uh, he's like, what about the deer? Well, I shot one two nights ago, and there's some buzzards flying up on that that ridge behind your house and I just wanted to ask if it was okay if I went back there. He goes, oh, have at it. Da, 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 da. And he's like, if you want to hunt back there, you can hunt back there too. I don't mind at all. I'm like, I didn't even ask. Sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> so we went back there and sure enough, the brothers were on that deer and if it wasn't for the brothers, I would never come. These all blew it up, you know. I mean, it, it was cold, but it was still three days later. Had warmed up and, and he was no good, but I still got to find the deer. Uh, I ended up getting a skull mount and everything. So, but that's what I'm saying. You just have to be, you just have to kind of adapt situations, especially when you're hunting those pieces of properties, you know, with borders or, um, you know, small properties and things like that. That's tough. I, I, I wish more states had uh, a right to retrieve laws. Some do. Yeah. I'm not sure which ones do. Yeah off the top of my head, but some states will allow you to cross property lines to retrieve down down deer. You leave your weapons behind. And well, see, I don't see why you can't. If you, if you leave your weapon behind, it's not like you can physically hunt their property. It's yeah. property it, rights. It's just such a, it's a fine line. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, especially depending on the person you could run into, you could run into someone that has, you know, dealt with poachers for years or, you know, they've, caught people hunting their property before things like that you're that person's not going to care what you have to say to them at that point right they're going to call the law they're not worried about what's going to happen yeah florida's actually got a lot of like fine lines you can walk yeah florida's (laughs) one of the we're our own country yeah i mean (laughs) i mean that's 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 like hunting. That's like going somewhere and uh, and hunting within the high water mark. Submerged sovereign land. Yeah, it's submerged sovereign land. Yeah, 
That's interesting. That's a that that's one you really really got to read and yeah, read. That's a and really read fine line to walk. Because that's uh, even even after all the reading, it's still difficult to understand. Yeah, what's legal and what's not, and how you go about doing that. I I I, I think a lot of those things that are like that too. Think about the people that you're going to be portraying this law to. You know what I mean? Like you think they would try to kind of make it relatable and not so, I guess, law-like, for lack of a better word. You know, like even when you talk to, I mean, I've talked to FWC officers about a certain law, and it's sometimes hard for them to explain. They're like, yeah. well, you just need to go read it on the website. You know what I mean? Or things like that. It's like, I wish there was just a way to kind of, I mean, for, like I said, lack of a better word, just dumb it down. Yeah. Like, look, you cannot hunt this, or you can hunt this. You know what I mean? But. Yeah, too many too many people would uh would hunt those places if they really thought that they could hunt those places though. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so when you're when you're looking at these apps, whichever one you so choose to use and you find your property owner, a lot of times it has a name, unless it's wrapped up in a trust or something of that nature. How do you go about finding the phone numbers for people to make phone contact if it's a piece of property with no house on it for me um my dad is like a magician when it comes to this kind of thing it's just because he knows everybody well that too probably he's like oh i already got his phone number yeah (laughs) but but no in reality though like the places we've gotten um my dad also has the luxury of being a, a lineman around our house. So you, know, you get a power outage or whatever. He goes out and, you know, on the crew and he's like, man, I bet there's a bunch of deer in here or, you know, whatever. It's things like that too. Or when uh, they're driving around at night, you know, and they're seeing all the deer all over the roads at whatever time of night. Uh, when they're working, that's another thing that he kind of scouts around. But um, when it comes to the names versus phone numbers, he usually um, he'll just do like a basic Google search. And you know, I don't like I said, I don't know how he does it, man, but he always can find an answer to anything. And he uh, he just digs. He's pretty persistent when it comes to that, I guess. But. He, he'll look at, like, uh, your tax collector and find numbers that way, too, um, on, like, tax collector websites, stuff like that. Um, anything, like I said, it's public information. So if they if they have given that information at any point to the public, usually you can find it online. Yeah. By the way, once it hits, once it hits the Internet, it's there. Yeah. yeah so that, that was one thing, though, in, in my pursuit – so far to try and find a piece of private land within central florida has been pretty much you just have to like dig and dig and dig and dig to find somebody's phone number and you're eventually gonna you're you're gonna come across it and then you like screenshot it back out of there and then the next link gives you like two or three other phone numbers to that person (laughs) so you're like if it was easy if it was easy, everybody, somebody would be hunting it. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? I mean, that's that's kind of the, the line where I come back to the people being lazy. 
Yeah. I, I love, I love, I'll post a picture, you know, whatever. All, all people I know, oh man, when you go, even know, don't even, don't start with me on that. Yeah. That's like the classic, hey, shoot me one and I'll pay you to get it processed. Yeah. You're like, how about, kills me, bro. Yeah. How about you spend all the money on all that feed and then all the rifle and the ammo and everything? Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'm like, I, how about, <laughs> I, how about I am, feeding proteins all summer long? Yeah. yeah. I, I am more, I, I'll go on the record right now and say I am more than willing to shoot you however many deer uh, you would like me to. I'll shoot them and gift them to you if you'll uh, gift me a, a nice new rifle to do it with or a bow. Yeah, especially their property. I'll shoot all the deer they want. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you you give me the property and buy me the rifle. You got it. That's that's the thing. Keep your I'll tell you, that's another thing I've all I've always offered up to to a landowner like that. Uh, when you have that free permission, it's like, hey, uh, we just shot a deer. Would you like the choice cuts or any meat at all from this deer? Yeah, I agree. That's what we used to do. One of my buddies from Stewart, uh, when we first got that permission on my guy's backyard, we, uh, every single deer we shot, which they were all does, but every deer we shot off that piece of property, that was the first thing we did. We'd come back and clean it at his house. He you know, gave us his garage to clean the deer in with cardboard on the floor and everything. And that was the first thing we did. Man, you want these back straps? Oh, no, y'all, y'all earned them back straps. You know, da da da. So. It's just simply offering it, though. You know, whether they yeah, take exactly. it or not. It's like the it's thought the that counts. When you're yeah, doing it, it's the principle of it. Yeah. When you're doing it with somebody who's perhaps a non hunter, don't, I would also recommend that you don't just hand them a piece of meat because they'll have no Cook idea what them. to do with it. Or even, well, I was going to suggest that you hand it to them nicely butchered, like take all the silver skin off and everything else, make it look really oh, presentable. Yeah. And, and perhaps hand it to him with a recipe, like detailed, detailed recipe as to how to prepare it. Explain why, well done, ain't gonna work, right? And yeah. then when you hand it off, say, look, you really can't eat this stuff medium rare. It's not gonna kill you. If you want, you can look up the zoology and all the other stuff. It's, you're gonna be okay. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Yeah, we those crane breasts we cooked up were literally like just about like raw, <laughs> rare, and they were. Crane sushi, baby. Oh my gosh, they were yeah, so good. I'll be honest with you. It, if, it's, if it's red meat, that's how it's getting ate in my house. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, period. I, I, need some, I need some blood on the plate. Hey, I, I, I am right there with you. You know, but on the, on the fowl, I, and I eat it all at medium rare, but it's funny of all the different things that we eat. Well, nobody eats, we don't need to cover why you don't need to, you don't eat wild pig. Medium rare, but yeah, or chicken. I hope. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> but if there's one that might screw us up, it would be the waterfowl or, or the fowl because of the. Um... Oh crap! Now I can't remember what it is. The reason you got to cook meat to 160. It's not trichinosis. It's, it's uh. Well, that's been changed now. You know that, right? 145. Yeah, right. What? Well, one... Not 160. 145. Right. That's for trichinella. 145 is generally accepted across the board. So. It's no longer, the science is no longer you have to cook it to a heat. It's you have to cook it. it it's not. A, reach an say, internal temperature. Well, so you still have to reach a certain internal temperature, but there's no steadfast hold on this 
one temperature, it has to be 160. There, It's now understood that if you cook it to 130 and you hold it at 130 for 15 minutes, uh, it's, a, it's a heat and a time thing. Works for me, but for whatever reason, I cannot. Salmonella. Goodness Salmonella, gracious. Yeah. yeah. The birdie. Salmonella, yeah. 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 That's why the water. I still eat it all medium rare, but someday I know I'm going to just get wallowed. <laughs> hey, that's a, I mean, that's a I, real careful. I got that. That's a risk I'm worth taking. It's an yeah. excellent waste, weight loss program. Jordan, be careful. Yeah. <laughs> I got I got salmonella as a kid from a turtle, from a fat turtle. Ooh. Literally, as a kid. That's rough. See, over, you're over here thinking like Hunter may have eaten a turtle. No, he just like held his turtle and then stuck his hands no, in his mouth. No, like, yeah, literally. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he ain't talking I've about like eating no cooters, too. I've eaten plenty of turtles, okay? All soft shell, and I never turn my head on soft shell. But, hey, I, you know, I had turtle once as a kid, and I like a real little kid, and I did not like it, but I want to try it again. That's just one of those things, man. I, I, there's a lot of things I thought I didn't like as a kid, and then I've come to realize as an adult it's probably because somebody did a terrible job cooking it. Like the first time I ate lobster, I thought lobster was terrible. Well, I come to find out it was extremely overcooked. That's why it was terrible. Listen, I'll yeah. tell you right now, I ate possum over a campfire with zero seasoning and probably still a decent amount of hair on it. <laughs> and I would still be willing to try it again. That wasn't that bad, though. No, it wasn't. Look, hey, I'll be dead honest, y'all. I'll eat anything once. Yeah, oh, yeah. If it doesn't kill me, I'm good. I might try it the second time. Listen, like, that's like I mean, that's like Jim feeding us crow. I eat this piece of meat, and I'm like, man, what is this? He's like, that's crow. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm about to start <laughs> killing the crap out of crows. Crow's good. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm about you know, to start slaying them, son. I feel like that's the greasiest thing on the planet. It was Any not. Home. Nope. It it's tastes like eating uh, McDonald's French fries out of the damn garbage. Big old, <laughs> big old dove. It, I said, it tastes like a dang a, a little sliver of backstrap. It was absolutely really? delicious. Oh man, so good. Well, I, I forgot all about that, Jim. Yeah. Now he did have it in like a whiskey. What was it? What was the sauce? Oh, I had that on cream? the side. I had a whiskey cream reduction, but that was uh, yeah. Yeah, you might have dipped oh. it in there. That helps. I could eat my sneaker in that whiskey cream reduction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He could eat his hike to hunt sneaker in that whiskey yeah. cream reduction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you better cook that to at least a temperature of 160 before you put that in your mouth. Those right? things are damn near. Those things are all tenderized. I mean, I'm wearing them right now, but you go put. I bought two pairs of shoes, man, because I, I wore them both. I had holes in both of them. Good Lord. I got 600 miles on You know, most runners will tell you they only got 300 miles in them. I wore out two pairs of shoes. Yeah. Yeah, you walked almost a thousand miles, didn't you? No, I, I walked six hundred and twenty, but then biked another four eighty. I'm over a thousand total. Yeah, but absolute savage. Yeah, savage, savage. Yeah, o- old man, man. Also put two hundred and seventy three miles in, or two hundred seventy three hours into the effort. <laughs> <laughs> Up early. I mean. Hey, but that right there is proof that the turtle, you know, slow and steady wins the race. The tortoise. I kept that in mind the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, there were old people. There were people. What was it? Uh, Arkansas out there for a while? Nebraska. 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 Yeah. They, were, they had those runners and they got that big jump. They got that big lead and then just kind of petered off. Slowly, well, when, when yeah. Jason Gonder came back with his, 
And I can't wait to have him on the show. But when he came back with his hundred and some odd miles from the high deserts of <laughs> yeah. South uh, or North New Mexico, from Philmont, that was kind of the, the we were, we were already caught up and putting them on the ropes, and Jason broke their back. Yeah, they had they weren't so happy about it either. No. I don't think their comment stayed up long, but they they had some kind of comments for it. I'll tell you this: there was a comment that showed up about midnight one night, and when I woke up at eight or nine o'clock the next morning, it was gone. I didn't remove it, so they pulled it down on their own on our on our page. So I I don't know, couldn't tell you. Man, but, they must have retracted their statement. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I had answered. One, when they, they questioned whether he even existed. And when Jason first posted his miles, because he had just driven six hours up into the panhandle, he had just put in his miles. And I don't even know if he put in the time. And he went to bed because he was exhausted. And the next day he got in and he, he logged his time. He pulled out his GPS. He put in his his elevation. And then he also posted a pile of pictures. So it may well be that they pulled that down politely after he had posted all that other stuff, and there was no question that he actually we didn't. He didn't oh, it's, make it's stuff very up. possible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's very possible. And I didn't, I didn't even realize that because I didn't see his miles posted until after he'd already done the elevation, the time, all the photos, sort of yeah. mule deer and velvet, and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. They, they may have been a little sour that they didn't know he was doing it, but where he was hiking, they went days between water stops, much less internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it's completely understandable that could happen. So we've no, covered we we've covered a little bit of, uh, of asking permission. We've covered the lost deer crossing the property lines. We've covered what you're trying to do keeping deer on your property. I got, a, I got a little addition that people might want to consider, and that is a pre-approach, meaning once you've identified out where you want to be take the time to draft a letter and close a little bit of information about yourself and then explain that you're planning on calling to ask permission announce yourself before you arrive and if you've got several pieces of property that you you're, you're kind of scouting out send that pre-approach package to each person then give them a call and ask them to go meet them personally and then during that during that personal meeting is when you actually make the ask and some people might turn you down before you ever get in you know before you even go but if they put it this way if they're going to turn you down before you show up if you show up unannounced they're still going to turn you down so yeah. save yourself if you can if you've got a phone number pre-approach them make that phone call be polite save yourself the the trip out there and back in the in the face-to-face -face humiliation yeah right sometimes you I, even then sometimes you're not going to be presented with the the ability to meet people face to face right yeah um but it's still worth writing that letter if you can find a, a valid address to send it to um and even then like we discussed earlier sometimes it may not even make it to the right person so you never know but it's worth a shot i mean it costs you what 50 cents, 55 cents to mail it. Yeah, just send a letter out. It's it's worth it. And honestly, you you could probably just do like a general letter that could I mean, you change the name in the letterhead or like you change Formula. their name. Yeah. Yeah. 
send it out to everybody. Change the name, this person. Change the name, that person. Just make sure you, before you mail it, you do change the name. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> then you're you're trying to send one. It's bound to happen at least once to Mister Smith when you're supposed to be sending it to, to Rwanda. Yeah, Mister and Mrs. Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Dear property owner. Dear occupant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much interested in hunting your beautiful property. You know what I would I would go ahead and air out too at the very beginning is is how you got their information. I did yeah, with that gentleman. Yeah. That guy that I texted, I was like, I receive I got your information via public records. That way it's uh you don't because I mean I know I feel if somebody called me and they're like, Hey, how you doing today, Mr. Krebs? I'd be like, Who are you? Yeah. How did you get my phone number or why do you know my name? So you, you lead off with the fact, hey, how you doing today, Mr. Krebs? I got your information. My name is such and such. I got your informa- information via public record, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the piece of property you own. You know, that might be another thing, a, a phone skill that's kind of lost. Because we have cell phones, and everybody's usually calling their friends. From my generation, you call people and never know who's picking up the phone. Heck, when I started growing up, you still had party lines. But you'd call up. And every phone call was, hello, this is Jim Hazley. May I speak with so-and-so? And you didn't, you didn't just, you introduced yourself first before you asked to speak to somebody so there was no question, right? And that way they've, they have a name. Right. Because when, yeah. when you as a telemarketer don't do that, they don't even tell you who they are. Yeah. Hello. I tell you, I, I received Hazley? so many like random phone calls through work from like inspectors and stuff that I've gotten in the habit, unless it's like Will. I'm like, what do you want, dickhead? <laughs> but, but like, if it's a random number, like even I'll answer telemarketers. Like, this is Jordan. Right. Like, I just introduce myself right off the bat. Well, I'll tell you another little piece of advice is whatever you do, whenever they answer the phone, don't go. Doink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because you know you answer all the telemarketer calls. You say hello, and they go. <laughs> yeah, it switches over You're to like, the recorded line. Dang it. Yeah, that's the that's the hang up alert is what that is. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So I mean I, I think we, we covered it in a in a fairly basic form. Um and so we go ahead and wrap it up and I say, you know, at the end of episode every episode we like to do the under pressure outdoors tip of the week and I'll start that off by saying don't be afraid to be told no. All right. Right. That's, be- yeah, that's a good one. Because I every- think Hunter's told me that several times in my pursuit for. <laughs> yeah. Hunter's like, what's the worst thing? Say no. Hey, my dad has told me since a very young age, just about when it comes to anything, the worst thing to say is no. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, what? Were they going to shoot you off your porch? All right. Well, you're back. You're right back to where you started. Right. Yeah. Young fellas, that's so. great dating advice as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing too is you got to think don't don't be discouraged by a no right yeah. because for every every 10 every 10 asks there's there would be you know we'd say there'd be one yes that doesn't mean that out of 10 people you ask one of them's going to say yes yeah. that might mean you have to ask 90 people before you get 10 yeses in a row yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, i'm going to kind of exactly. like i'm going to kind of play off yours William. i'm going to say that persistence is key yeah like literally just go and go and go like you 
like you said, you ask 90 people, at least one person is going to say yes. You may not get this piece that you wanted over here, but at least you're going to end up with a piece. But right. for, for Pete's sakes, go make a sale, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Go get enough people in your in your ballywick that you think you want to call on, knowing that most of them are probably going to say no. But all you're doing is you're trying to weed through them to get to the guy that says yes. And it may not be on your cherry piece of property, but get a yes, get a chance to hunt it. Don't be a dick. And then the next season, that person might even be kind enough to give you a little note that says, this here fella's all right. That's what I was about to say. Include that with your next pre-approach. That's what I was about to say was, you know, just because you looked up, you found the Smith's property and that's a prime piece. And the Gerald's next door, they've got some okay-ish land. Uh, You ask the Smiths, they say no. The Gerald's say yes. Well, you hunt at the Gerald's for a year. And then the Gerald's, they they have dinner with the Smiths every Wednesday night. And they talk about how such a great, just such a great young man you are and all the work you've been doing and all this other stuff. And then you reapproach the Smiths again. It's dating. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, yeah. Girl, pretty girl never asked to ask a guy out. Absolutely. True, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and, the, and another thing to think about, too, is is to keep the rules in mind. Uh, keep your landowner in the loop, what they do and want do and don't want happening on their property. Absolutely. Yeah, for God's sake, send them a Christmas card if you happen to find out their birthday. I mean, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Right. Little things like that that you remembered stuff like that will really to you. You know, it's nice. It's it's not manipulative. I mean, hopefully no. you're genuine in all these things, but you're you're just saying thank you. I appreciate you. Yeah. You know. I remember when we were younger, some of like our hunting leases and stuff. We we'd like help out the the we had one that had an old man and he had a garden and stuff. And uh, we used to go up there and kind of work in his garden and stuff. And I'm like, oh, like Dad, I don't want to be doing this. Dad's like, listen, it's PR work. Yeah. All right. Just do it. And it's it's going to pay out in the long run. Yep. All right. Fine. Plus, you feel good. Yeah. It's always a pain in the butt when you're walking out the door. But when you're going home, you're like, I did something nice today. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Until next week, you better. Hunter never gave his. Oh, Hunter, man, you're too quiet over oh, there. Dad. Oh, that. <laughs> I'm not usually quiet. I promise. Whole show no, is a tip. Um, for for me, I would just say, try to make yourself, you know, obviously on the topic of asking permission, try to make yourself seem valuable to that person, because at the end of the day, you know, you scratch their back, they're gonna scratch yours. Um, it's just one of those things. It's just human nature. If I have something to offer, that person's more likely to you know, allow me to do those things for them, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And another thing is, if you do get the permission, be overly respectful. Like, be to the point of, you know, hey, you pull in and your landowner is doing something, Ask him if you can get, leave a, you know, give him a hand. He tells you no, go on about your day. But it's like we talked about earlier, it's a principle. It's it's one of those things that are, I feel like it's kind of lost in today's society. It's you know, offer up your helping hand because you don't know how bad that person might need your help at that point. Yeah, that goes back to the calling ahead, 
you're you're sharing yeah. pictures, sharing success, the joy, the that every part of it, you know. Yeah. Show show them that wants to create a relationship. If they want to create a relationship, have a relationship with that person. Right. But also be respectful enough if they do not have you know intentions of creating a, a speakable you know conversation or relationship between the two of you. You gotta respect that as well. Don't bug the guy. You know, I mean, if if he's gonna stand offish, you know, small talk be nice, but don't step on his toes. Right. You know what I mean, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I think we we've packed a pretty decent amount of information into this, and that it, as leases become more unaffordable, it, it it's gonna be made up a lot of good private land hunting. It's gonna be made up of those tiny little tracks. All you gotta do is ask. That's all you can do, really. And you're gonna get told no. I'm just break it, I'm break it to you right now. Yeah, you're gonna get <laughs> yeah. told no a lot. But you keep asking, you keep asking, you keep asking, you keep asking. Eventually, you're gonna get a yes. And you gotta understand too that you know stuff's gonna happen. Times could get tough. That property gets sold, and then you start back over at square one. Been there, done that. Or. It, it ha- death happens, somebody dies, property changes hands, and they don't want you there anymore. You got to be respectful and move on. Um, so, but at that point, you know, don't ever stop asking. There's no reason that, that you can't have a, a main property you hunt and then a property that you never hunt, but you still work there so that you could hunt it if you wanted to, and a property you hunt sometimes. Yeah. Options. Yeah. Keep your options open, too. Right. So, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it back around and say, hey, uh, get your tickets to the pig roast. Because if you think you're going to go hunt some private land on small parcels, you're going to need a bow, right? We're giving away a bow. There's no excuses. Bad bow. You can could, you could meet me as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you can meet Hunter. You can meet us. Cameron uh, Gordon. You're gonna meet a, you can meet a bunch of people a little bit on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Dudes yeah, that out, knock guys. things down. I'd imagine Jay would be there and try and get. Uh, and I haven't actually. I should have asked Jordan from Common Man Outdoors today if he was going to be there. They're sponsoring the sponsoring yeah. the bow giveaway. So I would hope Jordan's going to be there. I would too, but he's a busy, busy man. Yeah. So you can you can only hope so much. Al Solano's going to be there. No, a lot of the hike to hunt people. Yep. Yeah, I see a lot of those people. So he you, was you see also a, lot of, a uh, Swanee River guy. Yeah, yep. he's active. But you get to meet a lot you of cool people. You get to meet uh, old Jim Bob, too. My dad will be there. Hey. Uh, under pressure, oh, yeah. I'll go through. He told me today, he saw on Facebook, he's like, I think that's something I can get behind. Hey, you know <laughs> what? If you can get, by, if you think you can get behind some daggum pig roast, you can keep watch because that crawfish bowl is going to come back around before you know about it. Yeah. Ooh, boy, I, missed la- I missed last year's. I will be at this year's. It's, it's, it was, that was a dang be an annual good time. Thing. It's definitely going to be an annual thing. So, but we'll have plenty of events coming up even before that that are going to be free. So just come out and hang out with the crew. And a lot of those are going to be hunting based and stuff like that. So come out and hunt with us, do some public land hunting and just hang out. But you got to be, got to join the group and like and follow the Facebook page and Instagram and all that good stuff. And that's where you'll see those updates first. Yeah, TikTok's a uh, the totally different beast from the rest of that. Though. I know. <laughs> you know, for those that 
are listening that might want us to come out and host a hunt at the local WMA, they might want to make mention of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I know there's some people. Uh, we've got listeners in uh, Missouri, and if you would like for wow. us to come up there and uh, hunt on some of your private land with you, we're more than willing to do that. You just yeah. got to let us know. <laughs> Uh, same for those listeners in Nebraska and Iowa and all those, uh, you know, all those great deer hunting states. If you want us to come hunt with you, hey, we will be there. Yeah, just gotta let us know. We're more than willing to travel. For that matter, hey, just just reach out and we will ask for permission. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Hawaiians will come out there and sling pigs with you. Yeah, oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I don't know how many listeners we have in Hawaii. I don't know if I ever looked at that. We got a few in Alaska. We though. just need the right Alaska. one. Listen, I'll come to Alaska and catch some salmon, will you? We got or some in some Australia. Halibut. Australia. Let's hunt some kangaroos. Yeah, I mean, you go to Alaska and hunt dang caribou. There you go, caribou. Uh, there's no hunting in India, right? We got some in India. They're all over there's Ireland, something. England, Germany. I'll come eat some curry food. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Reach out to us. Let us know. Write us a review. We'll come. We'll come hunt with you. We'll come hunt your land. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, if you got good places on public land, I'll come hunt it with you. Yeah, absolutely. Or you can reach out to us, and you can just come hunt with us. We'll yeah, take you to. Yeah, if you're if you're from out of state and you're here, we'll do what we can to put you on something. And if it's even if it's summertime, we'll we'll get you on a boat. Shoot, we get you on a boat in summertime. We'll, we'll find some rabbits. Yeah, easy. Yeah. Rabbit. Just don't tell us on Friday that you're here for Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, because I already have plans for Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> but until next week, you guys will scroll down in the podcast description, and uh, you'll be able to find links, all that stuff, and we'll put Florida Boy Outfitters down there again for you guys to pick up on those guys, and you can see all those sweet bucks that he's got on this uh, this little 30-acre 30 30 acre slice of heaven. Uh, yeah, honey hole. Yeah. Big thing's coming. Big thing's coming this year. <laughs> I thought I was going to say big things come in small packages. But. <laughs> I wasn't talking about me. Well, I was talking about <laughs> well, until next week, guys. Thank you for joining us, Hunter. See you. Oh, no problem. Thank you guys for having me. We'll see you, brother.